Yes. Welcome to 101.5 UMFM. This is 393, the radio program of Studio 393, located in the Skywalk Portage Place, a satellite of Graffiti Art Gallery. That is Graffiti Art Programming. We offer programs in workshops in dance, visual arts, recording, rapping, and podcasting. This episode, we focus and have an interview with Indigenous Cree Canadian hip hop legend Hellaback. As the youngest member of the pivotal hip hop group War Party, Helen Back toured constantly, released music, had videos, and was up for awards. He also gained a world of knowledge on the artist that he was to become. Still touring, still releasing music, now doing workshops and mentoring youth. From a Bima to War Party to Res Official to a solo career, Helen Back walks us through his journey. Currently promoting his acclaimed 1491 album, and now getting ready to play the Pink Party, May 17th. Here's an interview with Helen Back featuring Talia, Osani, and Josh. Enjoy the listen. 101.5 UMFM. You're listening to 101.5 UMFM. We're here with Helen Back. It's Bobby on. We, uh, yeah, my name is Osani. So, um,. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you a few questions today. Yeah, man. I was wondering about um, about how, like what the chronology of your rap career was like. If it's uh, if if you did solo work before Team Res Official, or was it like Team Res Official then solo work, or like how did that work? Um, it was. I've I've always wanted to be a solo artist. Mm-hmm. To be honest, when I first started rapping, um, I was kind of like I stumbled on it. I, I I really liked hip hop, uh, the vibe of it. My my older brother, he was kind of like like I grew up in a single parent family, so I had an older brother, and he was like he was like the man. He was like the cool dude. You wanted to be like him, you know. He was a football star. He actually had a scholarship to Notre Dame, uh, but he got a girl pregnant, and he ended up raising his kids instead of taking a scholarship. Anyway, but like he was that. He was that cool, like to me. He was he was a really really cool dude. He he introduced me to hip hop, and I always started writing music and wanted to get into music more. And um, I started freestyling, and I don't know. I didn't. I I at the time it was so new to natives, you know. Like it was like I didn't know any natives that rapped, so I, I felt that um, I had no real outlet. I would I was always just battling myself and shit like that. Oh, can I swear? My bad. I'm, yeah, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> but uh, like I was always battling myself because there was nobody to battle. You know, like I battle my brother, but there's only so many times you can eat someone up. You know, like I was, uh, <laughs> like I I like I I I was always about it. Like it was just that was my whole shit when I was younger. And um, nowadays it's different. But but like back in the days it was just like eat. If you were an MC. And I knew about you, then I'd test you out. You know, that was just how I, I, I came up. Um, and I always started writing solo songs. And, but mind you, I was like young, you know what I mean? Like I was like 13, 
and shit. And I was 13, 14. And <clears throat> that's when I met uh, War Party, Rex, Rex Smallboy. And he didn't like me at first. He didn't like me at all. He thought I was trying to steal his, his team. <laughs> but I didn't even know anything about him. Like, I, I, I was, I'm not going to lie, I was a young smoker, you know. And uh, one of the guys on, that was with him, uh, his name was Tribal D. He was, he was a younger dude. And me and him clicked. We were like friends. We were all kind of family and distant relative in the Hobima way, where I'm from. But um, he, I got introduced to him through my brother because they were rappers. That's all I knew that they were rappers and they liked, and they were in a studio actually at the time. But it wasn't really a studio. It was just like a homie's house with like microphones like this and shit. But back then, this was like big to have this shit at home. You know what I mean? Like if you had this at home, you were set. So we went to the studio uh, and when I first met Rex, he was like, yo, who the fuck is that? You know, and I'm like, yo, dude. I mean, like, I, I don't know if he un didn't just understood that I was like, I was just a kid, yeah. you know what I mean? But I was a big kid when I was when I was young. They called me the chubby Cree um, because I was like the chubby kid. I was like the chubby dude, you know. But I was that hungry guy. Like for me, like I said, it was hip hop 24/7. Like as soon as I found out about hip hop, as soon as I could write shit on pieces of paper, and you know that it, that's what it became 24/7. So I was always writing. But when I met Rex and them, it, it kind of focused it more. Like, I had some solo songs, but they weren't really anything like, you know. I mean, your first recordings are garbage. I have to say my first recordings are horrible. But when I met Rex and them, it just kind of more... I, I, I noticed that I fit better alongside those that wanted to reach the same goals, you know. And so when we got together, it, was, it just clicked. It was, like, natural. And that's when Rex let his guard down, and and that's just how everything started. I, I I obviously wanted to be like a solo artist. That's why I laugh when my first solo album was just what like four years ago. You know, out of my whole career, that's the first time I released something solely. Like, took I, I have I have mixtapes with Res Official that you're never gonna hear, but like I've I dropped like mixtapes with them like I had a series called Chief Wahoo them Chief Wahoo hats this is before the whole kill your mascot type shit the whole native thing uh, back then to see natives even on a fucking thing for me was dope you know because we didn't see them much growing up you know uh, so to see natives on merchandise that I thought that was cool so to me I, I collected hats so Chief Wahoo hat them Chief Wahoo hats was my first mixtape and uh, that's why uh, I wish that y'all could hear that shit. That shit was fire. <laughs> but that was after I left War Party. And then I was always just in the group sense. Like, every time I started working on solo project shit, it always ends up being group shit. You know, like I'll show the people it, like, oh, this is what I'm working on. Oh, can I jump on it? You know, and that's what the vibe was. Oh, let's work on this. Okay, well, I'm working on this. Well, can I jump on that? So it, w it was just like, it was natural to do it. But I always wanted to be, yeah, a solo artist. So I like it now. Yeah. <laughs> I love it now. Shit. So uh, with uh, talking about rap, mm -hmm. and uh, I know you've done it for a while. Yeah. 
Do you like rapping on boom bap beats more or trap beats? Oh, wow. Uh, I just like rapping in general. To me, any artist can rap on anything. You know, uh, if you have a boom bap rapper who can't rap on a trap beat, then like, what, what kind of rapper are you? Yeah. I mean, fuck, for real. Like, it shouldn't really matter what kind of beat it is. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you can get it and, and fucking put words together and kill it. You know, kill it on a beat. That's that's what it is, is being an artist. That's what an entertainer is. Yeah. And when you step in this realm, that's what you are. Mm. Regardless of it, you're a role model to somebody out there who's looking up to what you're doing. You know? So, just yeah. get it. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I understand you to be a really good... <laughs> I like boom bad beat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> um... <laughs> I'm just being real. <laughs> All right. I see you. Um, so yeah, <laughs> speaking about entertainment, I, yeah, I've seen you. Um, I've seen you perform before mm-hmm. at the tallest poppy. Um, my friend uh, Renee, aka Twio. Mm. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Dope, you're rapping with him. Rap. Yeah. yeah, he had this chorus, but then uh, then he said that like on the day of, you're like, don't worry, I got this. And then when he went on stage, you went like. Ola, Ola, was that? Yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. How did yeah, that yeah. come to mind? Or like, how did? I, it? <laughs> that's just, that's just, that's just hip hop. Yeah. I mean, shit. Call and response is the best way to get anybody into it. Whether it's like stomping your feet, clapping your hands. That's just hip hop, man. That's just what I came up with. I mean, if you can get a crowd going, and that's like seventy-five percent of the battle. You know, then the rest of it is bars. I mean, trust me, you can you can be garbage and get people going. <laughs> I'm just being real, you know, but like you, if you can get the people going and then back it up with lyrics and shit, that's fire. I just saw this movie called Rumble. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I've, I've heard about it. I, yeah. I got a lot of homies on it, but I haven't uh, I haven't watched it personally. Yeah, yet. Taboo was on it and stuff. It was mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just wondering, what do you like? Because in the documentary that I saw, it seemed like people uh, indigenous people were getting into rock music because these guitars were handed down. Um, mm-hmm. I was just wondering, why do you think like indigenous people are getting more into rap now, or not just now, but well, why do you think indigenous people have wanted to become or be into rap more? Well, I I just got to take it from the standpoint as me, why I got into it. I can't say that I speak for all indigenous people. Mm-hmm. That's like me asking you, Google. You know, your race nationality, could you speak for all everybody? No, you don't. You know, mm-hmm. you speak for yourself. So for me, I think it's just because people are gravitating towards it because it speaks to them in a, in a way that nothing else has, you know. I, I, I look at, at hip-hop and music in general as, and I've always said it, like it, great therapy. It's, 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 it, it helps you get through the bad times. It makes you understand it makes people understand what you're going through, but at the same time, it helps you escape what you're going through. Do you understand what I mean? So I think that's why a lot of artists and, and kids are gravitating towards hip hop. Uh, I, I, I've been seeing a big surge of artists jumping into like the more conscious act of it, for hip hop nowadays. You know, it, it, when you, if you look at the native circuit, native hip hop circuit, we don't just offer uh, hip-hop shows anymore you know we go to reservations and offer the workshops we talk to the community we actually reach out and try to teach 
what we know as artists more than just trying to sh impress people with our bars we try bring them up to that same type of level so or even just try to lay a foundation that they could follow you know maybe they want to follow a different path but at, at least we try to show them that this is if you want to focus on some focus i'm not saying we're professionals but like i just say we I, i'm talking about myself there's a lot of art, other artists that i know that are out there just killing the circuit and teaching a lot of good things and i think the whole teaching aspect of hip-hop goes back to my ancestors you know because there was like the hunter there was the gatherer there there was the storytellers you know there was the mothers the, the fathers the chief but the storytellers they 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 continue that tradition of and that's what I feel that we as artists, you know, as native artists, and even as just any artist in general, you know, you 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 hold that, and you you have to as an artist because when you do something that other people can't, you you basically put yourself in a role model position. You know what I mean? So you might as well utilize it. You are listening to 101.5 UMFM. We are sitting here with Helen back. Yeah. What up? So I've also seen you perform before, yeah. and um, I don't know if it's something you do hmm. often or if, that, if it was a rare occasion, but I'd, you called up rappers, just kids from the, from the crowd, to come up and, and see what they could do. Um, Honestly, that, that decision was made like two minutes before it happened. <laughs> and, and it's not that I don't give... I, I like when I go to reservations, I, I call up on kids, but it's different, you know. When you go to reservations, kids want to come up and dance and stuff. They're not they're not advanced enough to bar it out. I'm not saying that they're slow or anything. I'm just saying that they don't, they're not rappers. That's the reason I go on reservations and teach them how to rap, you know. But when I had that night um, to just have free like run of the stage, that was like that was fun, mm -hmm. you know. And I know that. At my shows, there's going to be rappers. Yeah. And I knew there was rappers out there. And when I called up rappers to come up, you know, it was surprised. I was surprised that the rappers that I thought were going to say, yo, let me bust bars, they didn't They didn't come up. <laughs> and then just random rappers that, like, yourself and shit came up. I thought that was dope because that's just stepping up. And to me, it just shows the same thing. Like, you know, there's the hip-hop in the city is very well alive. You know, um, especially coming out of this place, I just got got to give mad props to Studio Three Nine Three. You know, uh, so um, my cousins uh, are on the reserve and they're trying to get into rap. And like, mm -hmm. I'm kind of like one of the only ones in the city that's into rapping. Mm -hmm. Like, I have other cousins in the city, but they're not into rapping. Yeah. I, but I've been getting like a lot of messages, them wondering like how they get into it when they're so far out there. I was just wondering if you have any advice that I could give back to them. Like, like I, I don't want to sound like an asshole. Yeah. You know, but I mean, they're going to meet assholes like me. Mm. <laughs> I mean, it, right now it's so easy to become an artist. Yeah. I mean, if they're not becoming an artist right now with how easy it is to become an artist, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in fucking Timbuktu Mm -hmm. You know, or whatever reservation. I mean, if you can get on the internet and surf it, it just depends on how much you want it and how much love you want to put into it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if 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 regardless, if you got a slow internet connect, then work with it. Yeah. Get your shit out. 
you know work on music make get make that shit happen mm-hmm. whether you're on a reservation or not that's not an excuse yeah. I, don't, I don't look at it as an excuse i just look at it as like mm-hmm. actually no i look at it as an excuse don't don't do it don't 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 make where you're from the crutch because there's if, if you if you got the internet get out there and make it happen mm-hmm. if they don't know where to go <laughs> google it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know hip-hop live shows and take some time out and, and take some money or whatever get out there you know if, if you if if you feel that you can't do anything from where you're at then change where you're at you know like get just get out there and make it happen you know like if you really really love something then those kind of changes and those kind of challenges shouldn't be challenges they should be fun things that you want to overcome instead of bad things that you're gonna try to overcome you know you should be looking at it optimistically like fuck i want to get into this game i want to do this i want to do that nobody can tell me to stop Mm-hmm. So I, I think if they want to get into the game, just take it more serious. Mm-hmm. Just take it more serious, and 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 just really make it your life, if that's what you want it to be, you know. Cool. I'm gonna paraphrase that a little bit when mm-hmm. I tell them. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the sweet answer though. <laughs> so get your shit together. Yeah, yeah, that's get just your, what get I'm your shit together. <laughs> this is this is message for me to your homies. Get your shit together. All right. You know you. I'll, this is a true story. The The biggest inspiration I ever got was from Cardinal Official. And he's never going to remember this. But I got it on tape. When I first met the dude, um, we, were, we were the first natives that, like, I think that he ever seen that are opening up for him in one of his shows. This was when his shit, first shit was popping off. Um, Bacardi Slang or something yeah, like that. Like yeah. 90, it was a while ago. And, uh, we were talking like, yo, you want to say something to the to the reservation? And the only thing he said is, quit fucking around. Make some real moves. Don't fucking wait for nobody. Just get out there and fucking make it happen. And I thought it, when I first heard it, I was like, this motherfucker. Who the fuck are you to say this? But then as as time came on, I was like, you know, that that's that's the truth. You know, don't fuck around. Like what the hell? What the hell else you got to do? If you if you want to make this your life, then what's stopping you? you can fucking make it happen. What else you got to do? If the, if you really want to make this your whole fucking entire life, you want to be an artist, you want to make it, then take the right steps to make it happen. And if not, then don't half-ass it. You know the fans ain't fucking fickle. There's a reason why I have fans. I'm not saying that I'm conceited or anything, but because they know I'm I'm. I'm real in that sense. Like I don't, I don't hold nothing back. You know, when you come to a Helen Back show, you're gonna get a fucking show, whether if it's ten people in the crowd or a thousand people in the crowd. I'm a while out, you know. And but that's what an entertainer should do, you know. So if they don't understand that, and they're like, oh, I just, I don't know what to do next. So get a beat and, and impress somebody. That's it. That's how easy this game is right now. You know, you can get a beat and not impress anybody with some garbage-ass track. I mean, the fucking game is riddled with them. You know, they got more diamonds on their neck than they got fucking props. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know what I mean? Like, they got more fucking flash on them than they got respect. You know? 
and diamonds and jewelry don't get you real respect <laughs> you know so like if you just just get your bars up you know so um so yeah speaking about like respect and um yeah do you feel like I know. Correct me if if I'm wrong, but you're sober now, right? Yeah. Did that play a a big role in like in uh, just your career and and how you? You know, it played a major role. But I don't sit there and tell people, you know, you gotta get sober. You gotta do this. You gotta. If you, I I got sober because I wanted to get sober. I got sober because I just got tired of it. You know. And it just so happens that when I got sober, my mind started understanding more about the business. Because that's the the, the scary part of, of of this entertainment business. I've been in it long enough to to see the snakes. I've, I've been in it long enough to to see the evils that are put right in front of you. You know. I've been a part of it. You know, I've been a part I've 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 been a part of the whole getting lost in the drugs. You know, when when I was when I was first started this is this is how it is. When I first started rap music, I was sober. I didn't drink. I didn't I didn't like sell drugs, none of that shit. I got I, I started rap music because I wanted to get away from that where I was from. And then as time went on and we started getting more more recognition, more more props, more this and that, more flash, whatever, whatever. More labels involved and more managers, more this and that, more traveling. So what, you have more money. You have more people in your eyes and your ears telling you this and that, go do this, go do that. Then you just start getting into your head that you have extra time on your hands. And that's that's where a lot of these artists like, fuck up because they they don't know how to manage that time. And I can honestly tell you that, that that boredom led me down that path. I stopped music for a while, if you look at my track record. As official dropped and then I didn't drop for years because of that evil, because of that danger. And this industry is full of it. You know, you just got to keep your head, your head straight on this industry, man. Like, this industry is fucked up. <laughs> but if you got a good support system like they're teaching you here, you know, take take everything that they're teaching you here and, and, and kill it, you know, because this industry is crazy, dude, for real. So I was just wondering if you could uh, briefly uh, talk about the awards and uh, how, that was, how that was like to be uh, nominated for that. Man, um, I've been nominated for awards before, uh, but this time around it was pretty, I don't know, I felt, it felt really good. Like, I just don't want to sound like, like, oh my God, I deserved it type shit, you know, like, no, but like, it's, it felt really good because my last, like, the last time I was at the Indigenous Music Awards, like, I got nominated for some awards, but I don't think I was really, like, I wasn't really, like, I don't know how to put it. Like right now, it, it seems it feels I, it means more to me now than it did then, because in 2015 I won an award that I didn't even know I was up for. They, 
Eric Robinson gave me a most outstanding Manitoban. And I got a lot of Manitoban rappers. Mad that I was the most outstanding Manitoban because I'm from Alberta. And I got, I got emails. I'll show you some emails. They're, they're real funny. They, they were actually telling me I, I got to give back this award. It was, it was, it was a joke. But um, anyway, that's another thing. But like... <laughs> But if it means it means so much this time around because it's just this album. It it when 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 I was making it, everything just kind of fell into place. There was even a major setback too. Like I recorded half of the album, and then me and the studio that I was I recorded half the album with had a fallout, like a bad one. And then he wouldn't even send me the files for like fucking anyway. And I and I had to like threaten like legal action. And all that other shit. And then all of a sudden I got all the files because I paid everything and, and whatnot. So then we got the files back. And then um, everything was good after that. It was, it was, then the album came just together. Shay put everything together like a, like a genius. You know, you know Shay. You know, Shay Malcolmson. Abstract, the homeboy. He really, he really came through. I should have just went with him like I did with the family over everything. Because he, he produced everything my last album before that. But just to be nominated, bro, it was so dope. Um, I don't really care if I win or not. I just, I just want to go to that award ceremony. I just want to perform live at that award ceremony. That's it. Because I, I, I haven't performed at a, an award ceremony ever in my career. So, like, if I could perform at the Indigenous Music Awards, that would be really dope. Because that'd be a first. You know. Where'd the name Helen back come from? It came, it came from like, like jokes. <laughs> it came from it, like all natives, all nicknames, you know, all, all, all that kind of shit. It comes from like, like teasing, you know, like Kool Aid. When I first got Kool Aid, Kool Aid was me wearing a bright red shirt walking down the hallway, and then one, one, you can, true story, you can fact check the shit. And then one of the homies was like, hey, Kool-Aid. And everybody laughed. You know what I mean? I'm like, ah, is she laughing at me because I got the red shirt on? But then I, I flipped that around. As, and then, like, after a while, it went from, like, laughing at Kool-Aid to, like, yo, what up, Kool-Aid? How you doing, Kool-Aid? What's up? Kool-Aid, what's popping? You know, like, it became it became that. And Helen back after I left War Party, like, <clears throat> I know one of these days, like, people are telling me I should be writing a book. Uh, chronicalizing the uh, native hip hop come up and shit, and I think I actually have been working on one, and it tells about these kind of stories. And when I was when I got Helen back, I've been through a lot with the war party, um, and when you go through a lot with a certain amount of friends who you think are your friends, and in the end, like it was, I was just like a number to them. You know, I was making a lot of money for them. And it that's what it just ended up like money will turn that's what I'm telling you, the, the the evils of the industry. You know, money will turn some of your best fucking friends against you. You know, the almighty dollar type shit. So I, I went through a lot of things with those guys. And we were cooling out in the studio once when we were recording the Hellenback shit. But we're recording the Kool-Aid shit. This is the Kool-Aid album. We're gonna be the Kool-Aid mixtape, all that. And they're like, man, you, it's like you've been through hell and back to get to where you're at. 
yeah, you should call yourself Hellenbeck. And then we all kind of laugh. That's just dumb. That's stupid. And then it just started sticking more. Like, it just started sticking more. And then when I moved to Winnipeg, people started calling me Heli. It started, and that was, that's it. That was just the end of it. You know, Hellenbeck just came, literally came out of struggle, but not like struggle like I was a poverty. I've been through hell like that. No, it comes from the industry. My name came from the industry and how much I've been through in this industry with like certain people. So, yeah. I'm going to ask this one question because Osani and I were talking about it and yeah. I think it's important for uh, just chrono chronalizing the native uh, indigenous yeah. hip hop and because you're like one of the sources. <laughs> um, you were like one of the younger members in War Party, right? I was the youngest okay. member of War Party. Uh, when you were recording the Kool-Aid stuff, I just, I'm going to insert this all over mm -hmm. the place. Um, when you were recording the Kool-Aid material, were you still a member of War Party or were you recording this like with Stomp at the time and uh, Res Official was being spoken I of? Was, when, when I was, when I first started, I wasn't even named Kool-Aid. When I first met these guys, fuck, what the hell did they call me? I, it was something real stupid, real dumb. And they were calling you it? No, no, my, my homies in Calgary and my brother and them, they called me a different rap name. I think it was like Red Dog or some shit like that. It was something real stupid, real stupid. And we had, we had a rap crew um, called uh, PSA. Fat Skills Anonymous. And it was me, my brother, and my man, Jason Anderson. He goes by the name of Overbite on Instagram. He's a good dude. One of my, like, a lot of people don't understand that the first dude I ever started rapping with was a white guy named Jason. I called him my, 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 uh, my Caucasian brother, you know, because, like, we went through everything. We, I, I grew up around him. He, he grew up around us. He like we called him the white native. We, we called him Munyao. Munyao means white, and that was his name, Munyao. Oh, Munyao's here. Yeah, come on in. You know, like <laughs> my mom and them knew him and everything. But he was dope. Like he still is, one of the best rappers I ever met. Um, but he, I don't know what he's working on now, beats and shit. But we we started that, and that's how, that's where that led to me meeting Rex and them was me having my own crew, and then. My brother was the lead of that. My brother was the man. He was the guy that was the break dancer. He was the, the ladies' man. He was, he was everything that he would want, I wanted to be. And, and then I got introduced through to, to Travel D through my brother. But when I was started rapping, it wasn't even, we were recording. Man, I'm going to take it back. We were recording on, you know, them old Gen, 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 Gen X mixer, Gen... They're like Radio Shack fucking mixers. Gen X, Gen, Gen X, I don't even know. We had one mixer and we had two tape decks. So we had the one song, we played the one song on this deck and record the loop on this deck and then stop it, rewind that and then, and we do that for like fucking hours just to make a beat. And then we would record over that beat through headphones as the microphone because we didn't have microphones back then. So, you, but if you plugged in 
a headphone into the mic jack, you can use the headphone as a microphone. So we would record that on there, transfer it over here, and then record it over here, and then try, like, I don't know, fuck. It was so fucked up because we were trying to splice things. It was the worst recording ever. But as soon as we could find out we could record, we recorded on everything. Like, there was, like, old freestyles of me recording on country music and shit like that. And, like, but that's that, that was that, that was what we knew as a crew. And that's how I met Rex and them. And then everything else is history. We were also wondering uh-huh. what, and you've alluded to it in this interview, <laughs> but what happened that you decided to go solo? Is there any summary uh, of what happened with you and War Party? I've never heard the, the story story. Because you were all touring. You were active. Like, we were very active. We were very ridiculously active. I'm talking like out of a month, 26 shows, traveling all the time, times 10 months, then a couple weeks off, and then traveling again. See, we built the market. Nobody, nobody understood what we were doing when we were building the market. And we were phoning people and selling ourselves over the phones before people even understood what rap was let alone natives doing it. But we had that 30-second pitch. You know what I'm saying? That's very important. That's something that we learned back in the days of a 30-second pitch. And if you can get somebody's attention in that 30 seconds, you got them, you know? And that's how we were able to do it. And that was the whole mind state. Call people, call people, fax people. You know, we didn't even have internet. It was just faxing, faxing, faxing. So... You know, when we started that, we did, we we were constantly touring, and they 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 used to call me restless because I never slept. Like I was always up. I was like three days being up three days in the studio was whatever. I'd get the best sleep I'd ever get on tour buses or um, on a plane or some shit. You know, um, but like if. I was on the ground and we were work mode. I was always working. But that's the thing. Like, I was always working. But when I was young, like, say I was your guys' age, you know, and, and you working your ass off, being the face of everything that you're doing, let alone writing a lot of the music uh, for you and your friends and shit and the hooks and this and that and being the main. Because, like I told you, I was always working on music. So, I'd show them some, then, oh, let me jump on that. So, like, a lot of the ideas came from what what I was doing, you know. And then, you know, when I was young and I signed a contract, uh, the, the other guy that I was with, uh, Rex Smallboy, I'm going to put this out there because it's not, it's, not it's not a hidden fact, you know. It's just, if you dig, you're going to find it. And he really, he had me sign a contract when I was 16. And in that contract, I, I signed away a lot of my rights that I had no idea that I that I owned. I didn't I didn't know anything about ownership. All I knew is that when we did shows, I was getting a couple hundred here and there, four hundred here, five hundred. I knew I knew the more shows they were doing, the higher it went. So at the time, I'd be at like six hundred a show. So you give six hundred a show, seven hundred a show to a kid who's like sixteen, going on eighteen, nineteen. You know, twenty six shows a month. 
you know what I'm saying? Like that that adds up. So I'm thinking, like, I don't know, I'm I'm getting I'm all right. Like I'm living good. Um, mind you, I'm from Hobie, Alberta. So when I turned 18, I, I also got my own money through the oil royalties. So by the time I was 18, between 16 and 17, I accumulated like roughly for myself like 35k. Um, and I, I'd spent a lot of it on shoes, just stupid shit, you know. But then when I turned 18, I got 118,000 from the government because of the oil royalties they, they were stealing from us. That's peanuts compared to what they owe us. But that's what I got and shit. So <clears throat> when I got that, it was just, I, I didn't think much about the money at the time because I already had money. So I thought, whatever, we're making money. And then after, after a while, you know, I started noticing you know, Rex got a car. You know, his wife's got a car. You know what I'm saying? See you later, yo. Rex got a car. His wife's got a car. You know, the DJs got a car. All of a sudden, they got a family car. They got a studio. They got a house. And I'm living in this house, paying money monthly into a studio that I helped build. And I didn't even have any furniture. I had, I had, a, I had a fucking bed and a bag of clothes. But to me at the time, it didn't really matter because like, I was like, fuck, okay, we're, not, we're hardly ever here. So I didn't really have a real like, solidified home. It, my home was like the road. But when we got off the road, that's when things got iffy, you know. And then um, I, I don't even know what started the argument originally. But we were going to this big CBC uh, spotlight interview type thing. <clears throat> and we were walking in, and the, the ride was like, I'm, I'm going to chronicalize it for you. The ride was crazy. None of us were talking. It was from Hobima to Edmonton, which is about 45 minutes to a, no, no, about an hour, hour and a half ride. So an hour and a half of nothing. Nobody talking. And I'm just like sitting there. This is before phones, so nobody had a phone or shit to... You know, oh, nobody had a phone and shit to, like, like uh, be distracting or shit like that. We were just all, like, okay. And then when we got to the to the spot, we were walking in, and then Rex turns around. He's like, okay, we got to go inside and pretend to be friends. That's what he told me. And then I was like, pretend to be friends? I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because at the time, I, I my whole shit was, I love these guys. And so I, I didn't know... What that was about. So then when we went outside, all of a sudden I see this this big act. Oh man, I love this guy, man. You know, putting his hand on my shoulder. You know, I I I live and die for this dude. And I was looking at him like, damn. Like I would have believed that if you didn't fucking stop and tell me that I got to pretend to be a friend. So then after that happened, um, it all kind of really really started when I asked. I started asking questions. Like I asked my accountant, my accountant at the time, my manager, um, about some, some of the money. Oh, I'm not at liberty to ask, tell you that. Uh, you gotta talk to Rex about that. So I'm like, hmm. 
That doesn't make sense because that's my money too, you know. Well, how much are we getting a show? Well, I can't tell you. So when we were getting shows, they were telling me that we were getting, you know, two a show, two thousand a show, fifteen hundred a show, three thousand a show. So between, at the time we had five members, so that seemed right to me. Four hundred dollars, yeah, dope, whatever. Turns out we're getting booked, you know, five thousand. 8,000, 15,000, you know, 20,000 a show. And I was like, out of, out of all this money, um, I'm doing all the work. I'm not saying like, you know, we wouldn't been able to run without me, but like I did all, a lot of the work. I was setting up this equipment and I was doing the DJing. I was setting up the lights. I would DJ all night, then perform, and then tear down and chill with the kids at night, and then pack up, go to sleep, wake up, go do it all over again. Four hundred dollars, and come find out, like, but that's the thing. Like to me, it wasn't about the money until, until it became about the money. Like I didn't care about it, but then when you think about it as an artist, and you see the same people living a crazier life than you like I, I walked away clean yeah. like I literally I've never made any money off of Res Official I've never made any money off of War Party and any money that I've ever made off of Res Official has been so can you know I've never utilized their name never never did any of that kind of shit I've I, I walked away clean from War Party because he told me either you're a war party or you're nothing when we talked. And this is like on some after school special shit, real talk. Like I was like, word, I guess I'll be nothing then. You know, if that's it, then, you know, get off my, get, yeah. get out of my, get off my brother's house. Get out of here. I don't, I don't. He came after me. He tried to fight me. It was, it was funny because like, I'm not, I'm not afraid of nobody. You know, I'm just like, you try to fight me after all these years. So, that, but that this is like if we're getting personal. I'm being real. You know that was that was that's what happened. And um, and I had a little kind of like a jab. It was kind of like retribution for me. It was kind of petty, and I'm gonna be real about it. Uh, when we got nominated for the Juno back in '08, this is the first time I seen Rex in like nine years, maybe, maybe eight years. And uh, I seen him at a show. It was really weird. It got really tense. And he's like, oh, man, congratulations on the Juno. No, I didn't know that. I'm like, oh. And I know it was petty, and I feel bad for doing it, but I mean, I might as well. I mean, I was like, well, yeah, well, yeah nobody's doing pretty good for himself. Well, I got to go on main stage. I'll see you guys in a bit. And they were performing on the little stage. You know, so, and, and I was like, that was a really good thing to me. At that time, I feel bad now. Like, as a grown man, I'm like, shit, that was kind of assholeish. But at the time, it was it was so hip-hop to me because it was, like, full circle. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like, fuck. Whatever we did, I collectively outshined it and had fun. In hip-hop sense, that's what you always want to be better than what you did before. And I think Res Official did that. But at the same time, 
Res Official, we did a lot of like street edge type music. You know what I mean? And it took a, away, a lot away from us impactfully as conscious artists, you know? And like even Jesus nowadays, he doesn't even, you know, he talk about Res Official and our come up, but we're, we're more about conscious music nowadays. If you listen to Res Official stuff, there was a little bit of conscious stuff mixed in with a lot of crazy shit. You know, uh, but that's at the at the same time. That's what kind of what the labels wanted, and and that's kind of like what led me down a bad path. It was like that's why let me go back to what the evils of it. It was like I got into hip hop to get away from the drug deals and shit, not to become one. And then all of a sudden, I found myself, you know, certain times doing bad shit, doing this, doing that, being stupid. Like what the fuck am I doing? You know, I came, I got into music to get away from this shit. So I had to reboot, and that's when I just, I had to quit. I, I, I had to go through the shit that I went through. If it wasn't for my wife, <laughs> I don't know where I'd be, because like I am a survivor, and, and like I, I look at my wrist every day, because I, I did try to kill myself about six years ago, you know? And my wife and the family got me through it. So, like, I talk about that a lot, too, on reservations. Depression is crazy, you know, especially when you have nobody to talk to. But that's just the mind state. There's always somebody to talk to. You just got to get out there and talk to somebody. Don't be afraid of it, you know. And I, I talk about that a lot to people because, like I said, if it could happen to me, guy who's been on TV, get people consider a legend and shit like that, Nah, I, I, I consider myself somebody who worked really hard, but I'm also... You've been listening to 101.5 UMFM. We've been sitting here with Helen Back. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming, man. Yeah, man. And go to HelenBackMusic.com. Get the new ringtone. Native slang ringtone. If you native, if you, if you know native slang, have you ever heard, nah, like people, nah, fuck out of here. <laughs> go over there and get your ringtone. I'm telling you, it's, it's popping right now. I've... Got a lot of downloads. Dope. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Dope, dope. It's dope. So get that. On, get the new hoodies, too. Uh, Helen Back hoodie. They're on Champion. Branded hoodies. Dope. Shit, you know, so hit up HelenBackMusic.com. I got a lot more coming. I got posters. All that shit coming. Like, actual posters. I want to take it back to old school shit where you can hang on your wall. Dope. You know? Um, my man, Dedos, he made the logo. Oh, word. So he made my album cover. Which is dope because I didn't get a chance to talk about this, but my man Dedos, I've always been a fan of Dedos. Dedos has been that unicorn to me because I remember looking at the Rascals Cash Crop album cover and I was like, this is fucking dope. Who the fuck made this? I always thought it was so dope. And then I heard of the AA crew and all that shit. And and then I heard about Dedos as the breakdancer. Turns out he did all the Chaos's shit, you know, all of, all of Kevin's album covers and whatnot. And I just loved his work. So when Manitoba Film and Music funded my album, he gave me the chance to approach him. So I hit him up. And it turned out he was a fan of me, which is crazy. Because, like, he was a legend to me. So... He ended up doing my album cover, and he did he did some crazy he did some crazy crazy poster work 
for me on my project. Um, see, like he sent me mad fucking shit, like and and full full poster size artwork that I'm gonna be releasing with major posters on my album, like ten dollars each on my whatever, whatever. As as long as people can hang me on their walls, that's cool. And and that's why I wanted the the album cover art done by Dedos, cause. I've always been a fan of his, so to have him on my new shit, man, it's like a small win. It's like it makes me feel like I made it type shit, you know? And that was an interview with Hillenbeck, indigenous hip-hop pioneer, a true legend on the side of the border. Check hashtag 1491 on all streaming services, his latest album. Friday, May 17th, he plays the Pyramid as a performer at the Pink Party. It features Chase Manhattan, Mob Bounce, Ronda Head, Boogie the Beat, amongst others. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Helen Back, for your time. Thank you, Talia and Osani and Josh, for your interviews and your research. Ending the night off with Josh's The River on 101.5 UMFM. Check our SoundCloud and our Instagram at studio underscore 393. Catch you next week, 101.5 UMFM.